Blog Talk Radio. Talk more about the people 
that were part of that because there were a lot of people that supported, you know, the black power civil rights movement. And, and as a matter of fact, it influenced people all over the world then and now. So, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that later on today, but I'm going to do a show and just going to get detailed about some of the information that I think is important for you guys to know. I mean, I do encourage you to go out and research um, this on your own. There are some things I want to make sure that you don't overlook or you disregard because you think, oh, that's not important. No, it's very important. And it will help you to understand what's happening um, in the world that we live in today. But before we get into any of that, I wanted to make some last announcements. Hey, last announcement about the conference. It is next week, everybody. The conference takes place next week, next Saturday and Sunday in Los Angeles, California. This is the Moving Social Justice Conference. And we are looking forward to seeing you. Um it's going to be good, you guys. We've already put the itinerary out there. Um, we want to see you. We want to see you. You know, registration is only $40. I gave you all and $25 if you're a student. And I gave you all a code to get 50% off. You can't get any better than that. I'll give you the code again, P-O-C-B-F. You see me use that hashtag all the time. P as in Paul, O as in Oscar, C as in Charlie, B as in Bravo, F as in Foxtrot. P-O-C-B-F, put that discount code, and you'll get half price. So, you know, that's how much we want to see. We want it to keep everything affordable, economic, economical for everybody. Um, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. And, you know, what we're going to be talking about is absolutely phenomenal and that's what I'm telling you guys. You want to be there. You want to be there. We are going to video it. So, you know, that will be available um, a little bit later on for your purchase. Um, um, and so for your purchase. But in addition to that, um, I think we're going to have it so that you can download it on demand as well. So, you know, we're getting all of that situated so that we can make sure that you all are a part of this. We will definitely be picking things back up um, October, November of this year, right after, um, you know, the conference. So we'll be starting back up with the webcast. We'll be starting back up with a number of things. So, you know, again, we just appreciate you guys. Um, you know, supporting us. For those that would like to attend the conference, we're going to have daycare available. I mean, we're trying to make it as easy and accessible as possible. Um, it's going to be at CFI Los Angeles, which is 4773 Hollywood Boulevard. It's on the bus line. In addition to that, there's a parking lot. It's ample parking, free parking. So we're going to have daycare there. Um, we'll make sure the babies have some snacks. For those that are interested um, in the daycare, 
please email us at blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, email us at, G, at blackskeptics at gmail.com. We would like to know ahead of time so that we'll know how many volunteers we'll need specifically for that. Um, we had made available the travel vouchers, the Secular Student Alliance. They were giving out $200 grant um, travel vouchers. I think it's still one or two left. Go ahead, put your put your application in. What is it going to hurt? And you don't have to be a student to get one. So that's the good thing about it. Apply. A lot of times, you know, people don't receive these things because they don't apply. They don't try. 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 Get here. Get here, you know, by any means necessary because it is going to be spectacular. You know, of course, we have Dr. Hutchinson. She's going to be there. We have Meredith Moise, a minister from Creative Heart Mission in Baltimore, Maryland. She's coming in. Um, Dr. Anthony Penn will be there. Donald Wright, the one and only Miss Knock 'em Out, Raina Rose from Facebook, will be there. She's part of the Black Free Thinkers Network, but... Um, you know, don't miss it, A.J. Johnson from Be Secular. She's going to be there. And just a number of other people. It is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Debbie Goddard, the one and only, she's going to be there. Looking forward to seeing her as well. And let me tell you some of the panels that we'll have. We'll have Confronting Homophobia in the Black Church. That panel, as well as Beyond Solidarity is for White Women, Feminists of Color Organizing. Those will be running simultaneously in two different sections. So that's the beginning. We're starting out the day with a humdinger. So, you know, we definitely want you all to be there for that. Um, Then we're going to take lunch. You know, we know everybody got to eat. So second part of the day, um, we're going to have a panel, Humanist Youth Leadership and Busting the School-to-Prison Pipeline. So that's going to be a really, really good panel as well. After that, what's race got to do with it? Racism and intersectionality in the atheist movement. And I'm telling you, this is going to be a humdinger. I cannot wait. We have some excellent people that are going to be on this panel. Man, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. What's race got to do with this? You know, it's a lot of conversation and dialogue that has to take place you know, regarding intersectionality and not only racism but the sexism and the homophobia, there are a lot of isms and phobias that we need to deal with within our own community. So that's going to be a really, really interesting conversation. And then, you know, we end the day. So day two, which is Sunday, we're only going to have one panel. And actually that is my panel, and we're going to be talking about LGBTQ, queer atheists of color, and social justice. And I guarantee you, this is going to be a good panel. You know, I have so much to talk about. So, guys, get here. You know, I don't get out very much um, for those that aren't familiar, um, you know, because I have an illness. Well, I have several illnesses, actually. And I'm dealing with it, and I don't get out very often. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. You know, everybody deserves a vacation here and there, right? So, you know, um, we got Raina on the line with us now. Hey, Raina. Let me see here. Did it pick up on her? Let's get uh, hello. There. there you go. Hello. The heavyweight 
Yeah. Oh, funny. <laughs> like Mama said, knock them out. Rose on the phone with us. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, oh, it is funny. It is funny for you all that are not familiar with Raina. She is a Facebook legend. I tell you, I you that. don't want to really get into an argument and go round for round for her because, I mean, this will go three, four, five days. You know, we go get something to eat, take a nap, go hang out, come back, and they still going at it. Then they go and take a nap and go to sleep and wake up the next day all over again. Anyway. Tell me if I'm feeling, <laughs> Raina. Tell me if I'm feeling. <laughs> You know, if nothing else people say about me, I will talk about your ass to your face. Will I not, Raina? No, you will. No, you will. Okay. <laughs> You're still the heavyweight champion. I'm going to have to buy you a belt or something. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Think Toys R Us. I got the tail going on. I have to get on there. Uh-uh. Or either right. I'm going to buy you a cake. I'm going to buy you a cake that has a big-ass R on the back of it. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know if that will get worn, but I, Halloween is coming up, so thanks. <laughs> oh, that is too funny, but, hey, good morning, Raina. Welcome. Good morning. I have got my coffee, so I'm happy. Oh. It's good morning. I'm glad somebody happy because I'm sleepy. So, woke up early this morning. First, I was cold. Anyway, now I'm hot. You know how this goes with me. You're used to this. But, uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> so, anyway, like I said, you know, um, you all don't want to miss that conference. You don't want to miss the conference. I mean, I've had people email me and tell me that, they weren't able to, that they lived in the area and that they could possibly get there, but they just didn't have the funds to um, pay the registration fee. Fine. Just come. Just Mm -hmm. come. We just want to see you there. Make it there. We'll, We'll take care of the rest. We'll take care of the rest. We got you covered. You know, that's what family's for. So come on. Come on. You know, this is open to everyone. Um, even though it's called People of Color Beyond Faith, you know, every there's going to be a lot of people there. I don't want to spoil some of the surprises. But come on. There's going to be everybody from, you know, different ethnicities and cultures, you know, uh, Trust me, you know, I've seen some of the people who have, you know, purchased the tickets. They're going to be there. Come on out. You're going to be a little surprised. And then, you know, we have Q&A sessions afterwards, so you'll be able to ask questions. We'll give some answers, um, so on and so forth. So, you know, like I said, you know, get there by any means well, answer necessary. answer the thoughtful uh, questions. You are so your- don't, ask <laughs> us, don't ask us about black-on-black crime. Or any anything foolish <laughs> like that, or ask us why black people like to dance and sing, you know. And don't oh. ask us anything foolish like that, because that's not. You know what? I think I need to pick up a stress ball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Pick up a stress mm-hmm. ball or some rosary beads, something, something to keep well, don't, me focused. Don't, look, don't <laughs> give me any of that because I'm liable to throw them. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> and see, because you said that, the trolls are going to show up. So it's it's going to be interesting. Oh, you know. I mean, but they're going to they're going to like show, show up anyway. <laughs> yeah, they're going to show up. They're going to show up anyway. They don't. It's not based on anything I just said. <laughs> oh, that is too funny. Anyway, um, we just want to see. That's all. And like I said, I don't get out very much, and I definitely do not do the conference convention um, circuit. I don't do it. have no desire to do it, never had any desire to do it. Well, but, you've, been you know, to, you've been to more than I have. I've, this is my first real event in the secular community that I've ever gone to, ever. Oh. In turn, you know. I only went to the reason, Bradley. That's it. What did you say? I only went to the reason rally. That was it. Well, no, I know, but you've still been to more than me. <laughs> oh, good night. Y'all see, y'all, see, see what I got to deal with, y'all? Look. <laughs> that's still, that's still uh, one more than I've been to. That's true. Technically, you are correct. You and are you correct. Went, oh, wait, but... You went to the No, you didn't go to the Chicago thing. Yes, you did. You went to no, the I Chicago didn't. thing. No, but I, I thought that you met with, didn't you see Debbie after? I don't know. I thought she did. I'm sorry. I might got it wrong. No, no, no. But, what oh, you're talking no, about you is when other... they have CFI um, along with AH. They sent um, Sakivu and Anthony Penn and Ian here um, for an event at DePaul University. So that wasn't a conference. That was just an event. Okay, but that's still more events than I've been to. <laughs> oh, good oh, Lord. Let's, let's stay focused. I'm talking about conferences and conventions. <laughs> that was good. Okay. Okay. okay, my bad. But even, okay. even with these events, they're far and few between. There was a um, conference here in Chicago about a month ago. Um, they had a, a number of people. I know Greta and all of them were there. And, you know, it was here in Chicago. I didn't go to that either. Um you know, so no offense to anybody that was there, but again, you know, like I said, with my illness, I have to kind of conserve my energy, and I also have to be very careful about the environments that I'm in. You know, if you want to see me run away from you, have a cold, yeah. or be sneezing for any reason whatsoever. I will stay on the opposite side of the room, and so you know, so. Um, very, very particular. Well, no, I've never been. I I've never been to one for a couple of reasons. Uh, well, okay. Oh. Um, oh, actually, you know what? I take that back. I I did go. I did go to a party for CFI when they had the. Um, I think it was one of their. Right. Um, it wasn't like That's an atheist thing. thing. That was that a sex. That wasn't. That wasn't a sex. That wasn't a um, an atheist thing though. That was. Um, right, that was just, for like one of their. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah but you didn't right. sit for the pass or the sessions. You just no, went to the no, party. No, I didn't. Yeah, I just went to the party. Yeah, because I didn't have time. I was working. So, yeah, I mean, my whole thing is is I have to work and, you know, so I don't, I can't afford that stuff all the time. You know, luckily and for see, me, I've been saving mm-hmm. my pennies and, you yeah, know, of yeah. course, being, being one of the people that's, you know, on one of the panels, you know, I get a little help with that. You know what I mean? I have so, little help a lot of help. A little help from my friends, but yeah, sure. no. Um, but also, I think a lot of them, my my lack of motivation to go has been based on, you know, some of the 
some of the topics that are discussed at a lot of these conferences. And it's like, it's it's a lot of the same, same old, same old. Um, I mean, it's like, if I can see the same thing that you did, the same panel that you did the previous year on YouTube, why do I want to pay 60, 70 some odd dollars to, you know, come and see it again? Well, 60, 70 odd dollars is for one day. And usually these conferences are three days. It's like $250, $300, and sometimes that includes a buffet of whatever on one day. That's for, they're not going to feed you all three days. That's a buffet like on Saturday or something. And, you know, this is the thing. You know, we're trying to keep our prices very low, economical. Like I said, if you don't have any money, just come on. Come on. We want to see you. It's okay. If you can get there. We can get you in, okay? And, you know, just talk to us. Open your mouth. And, you know, I'm just telling you guys now um, because, I mean, email us. You can email us, blackskeptics at gmail.com. You can email us, people of color, beyond faith at gmail.com. Hell, email me at blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. It's okay. If you open your mouth and you talk to us and let us know the situation, we can probably help you. That's what I'm saying. So we just want to see you. I don't know how else to put this. We want to see you. And for every conference that we do, you know, from this point forth, and next year it will be in Houston, Texas. It will be in the middle of October. We haven't um, finished all the details or anything. We're just starting to knock that out the box because we had to finish this one up. But we want to see you. And, again, you know, we're giving you one year in advance notice I mean, you know, we can't do anything more than that. We want to see you in the place, you know, and we want to meet you. We want you to come out to be educated and informed. And we're keeping the prices low. And, again, if you can't afford the registration price, just let us know. It's okay. There is no shame. We want to see you there. And that's, you know, that's what this is all about. When we say we're doing this for you, we mean it. We really do. And, you know, Raina dropped off the line. She should be back any minute. But, you know, that's that's what it's all about. You know, from the very beginning, when we first started, you know, not, not only, you know, the Black Free Thinkers radio show, but when we started the People of Color Beyond Faith, we made sure that you all knew that this was about you, that it was for you, and we wanted to do these things to help enrich because not everybody can afford to pay $300 just to, you know, the entrance fee, the registration to an event, especially if you had to pay to get there. So if you're paying, you know, one, two, three hundred dollars for an airline ticket, and then you still have to find a hotel and then transportation, that's that's a bit much. It is a bit much, but you know, like I said, open your mouth, talk to us, let us know. You know, um, blackskeptics at gmail dot com. You know, Sakibu will get those messages there, and you know, definitely, you know, inbox us. Whatever. We just want to see you. Let us know how we can help you. Okay. So next year it will be. In Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Yeah, and I was just telling them that by any means, just, 
you know, let us know we're trying to keep everything economical. You know, um, registration was 40 bucks. I gave you a code to get it down to 20 If you don't even have that, don't worry. Show up. We'll, we'll make sure you get in. Email us, you know, um, if you have transportation issues. CFI, you know, is handicap accessible. We'll have daycare there. It's free parking. It's right there on the bus line. We try to make it as accessible as possible. Try to make it as economical as possible. You got some, you know, kick-ass people that are going to be there this weekend. So, you know, we want to see you because, to me, the kick-ass people are you, the people that support us, that motivate us, that encourage us. So, you know, to, to us, you're the VIP. So come on. Come on. We want to see you. We want to get to know you a little bit better. And, you know, unfortunately, with a lot of these other conferences that are thrown by the mainstream, you know, the registration prices are expensive. And, like I said, you know, if you're paying $300 for a weekend of activities with them, that's not covering your airline or your train or whatever, you know, your transportation costs. It's not covering your hotel. It's not covering your meals, you know. So, again, you know, we try, we're try. we trying to do our very best to, to make it easily accessible, to make it enjoyable, educational, you know, informative. And so next year is going to be in Houston, Texas. So we're telling you yet again a year in advance because last October I started talking about this conference. We didn't have a lot of the details together, but I promised you it was going to happen, and guess what? It's happening. So next year it's Houston, and the year after that it will be in Baltimore and over in the DMV area. And so, Man, we got a big humdinger surprise waiting on you for that year. We're still trying to put together the details and see what we're going to do and how we're going to, you know, make some of that come to fruition. So, yeah, you know, Houston is going to be spectacular. Baltimore is going to be spectacular. And then a year after that, we're bringing it to sweet home Chicago. And so... You know, guys, this is for you. So we wanted to make sure that we hit all of the regions. After Chicago, it's a good chance we're going south. So, you know, we're not quite sure about that yet, but we're going to bring it south. We're going to bring it south. We haven't decided where, um, but I, I guarantee you it will be south. So we wanted to make sure we hit up all the regions to give everybody an opportunity to get there because we do understand the circumstances. You know, this economy has not been very kind to many of us, and so we understand the circumstances. So it's just interesting, but, yeah, Rainy, you brought up um, one of the issues about the cost effectiveness of many of these conferences. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that, or were you just done with it? Oh, no, I'm done. <laughs> I don't have anything to elaborate okay. on. <laughs> <laughs> the price of the conference is too damn high. I mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> too funny. So anyway, guys, you know, I read off the panels, what will be happening, letting you know how much, you know, we're looking forward to seeing you. 
and spending some time with you. And it's just it's interesting. Um, you know, I keep getting these mysterious phone calls. And interesting, you know, I don't pick it up because I don't know who it is, but they're spoofing the 411 number. So you know I know there's hmm. some shit in this game. Right, yeah. yeah, of course. And it's like, yeah. So I'm like, huh? And, I mean, they called me literally as the show was starting, and I was like, what kind of fuckery is going on? And I'm like, e- anyway, if they call me while we're on a show, I'm gonna bring them in live so we can see what the hell they're talking about. Mm. So, Funny. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, you. Want, I mean, like I tell people, you you email me foolishness. Catch me on the right day. I'm going to respond with foolishness, right? So right. anyway, um, I saw something go through my news feed the other day, and I have not been able to remember where I saw it. So it's a few people, you know, I'm just going to go back to their wall and try to see if I can find it. But it was talking about being trans-ethnic. And so I did a Google search, and one of the first pages, you know, one of the first links I saw was, what the hell is trans-ethnicity, which is the question that I had. And, you know, basically, um, you know, what I did remember seeing about the post that went through, because I didn't click on the link, I just saw some of the comments. And it was, you know, about this, you know, white young lady who was declaring herself as trans-ethnic and declaring herself black. Uh, and, oh, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. You hear me fucking my teeth over here, uh-huh. right? Oh, no, no, oh. no, 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 no. Right. Uh-huh. And, I mean, but we've seen this quite a bit over the years, but now they've been given a name to it, right? Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. is it that a lot of people want to be black, but they don't want the black struggle? It's 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 all about. It's basically, is what this is what it is. Whiteness and, and white culture, you know, white ethnicity, is is mainstream. It everybody has it. You know what I mean? It's right. it's, it's you know it's it's boring. You know what I mean? So in order right. for That's certain cool. people, right? So if, in order for certain people to feel like they're special. They have to adopt people of color swag. You know what I mean? They have to spice up their lives with our culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's 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 not fair. You know it it com it, it leads to commodification of our culture. It leads to um, a lot of whitewashing our culture, diminishing you know what our what our traditions and what our our customs mean. You know what I mean? Right. And it, there's a difference between appropriation and sort of appreciation. You know what I mean? You as a white person can appreciate someone else's culture. Um, you can, you can, you know, dance hip-hop. You can, you know, go to a Bollywood, you know, aerobics class. You know what I mean? You can do right. those things. But you have to question what – you know, like who is being empowered and who's being disempowered? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you know, you can buy you can buy the the Navajo blanket from Target. You know what I mean? Or right. you can buy it from a reservation. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. 
you can buy it from, you know what I mean? And you can, and that can be, you know, symbolic of something like, oh, I had an experience here, you know, or whatever. Or it can be, oh, this just really looks great with my shoes. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. And there's a difference, and there's a difference, a fundamental difference between those two things. And, exactly. Um, you know, and we don't, I mean, we don't, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, we just, we don't appreciate it, especially when we see people who are taking things from our culture and um, it doesn't seem like they're respecting them, like they're being mocked. You know, like a lot of exactly. a lot of people felt, feel that way about, you know, some people who do like hip-hop music who are white. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. adopting our swag. You know what I mean? They're adopting right. our, you know, a genre that, you know, we – that we started that's uniquely ours, you know. We innovated, and, exactly. Right. It's uniquely ours. And sometimes you find people who don't even want to give any credit or, or respect to those that came before them. You know what I mean? Right. And, that, exactly. and that's just really unfortunate. Exactly. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, it leads into this conversation for, you know, our topic today, but because it kind of, you know, it overlaps here. And, but I had to talk about it that. It surely does. Hmm? I said it surely does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why, you know, I'm not even talking about any of the other news stories. You know, I had to bring that one up, and I still have to do some research on it. I've just been, the past two weeks, or well, three weeks, really, have, hasn't really been good weeks for me, but, um, I'm going to have to read into this. I'm going to have to read more into it because this is ridiculous. And I know one of these mainstream magazines uh, made some comment about cornrows being back, and it featured some white women with oh, cornrows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. But that went all the way back to Bo Derek, and this was in the 70s. Oh, yeah. When she got the corn I mean, it goes rolls, back it, even further than that, though. I mean, I mean, it's it, it goes back it goes back so much further than that. But but right. I mean, it's like even recently there was like a there was some um, fashion show where the mm-hmm. um, the models had the the I mean they were all white models, right? Um, right. And they all had their their baby hairs to slick down, right? Yes. And <laughs> they were doing you know, the Right, they were doing, no, they weren't doing a LaToya Jackson. They were doing, you know, what a lot of, you know, women of color, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, do no, I just call it LaToya Jackson because her baby hair yeah. game is on point every time. But go oh, ahead. honey. <laughs> <laughs> I've never checked her baby hair laying skills, so I'm going to have to check that out now. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's like whatever we do is not valuable as people of color. You know what I mean? When we twerk, mm-hmm. it's nasty, it's ghetto, it's trashy, it's, you know, it's not sophisticated. But now you've got, you know, people like J-Lo talking about big booty and twerking and whatnot and trying to make it high fashion. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. you've got, you know, you've got, like, artists Iggy Azalea and Miley Cyrus being praised for twerking as though they invented it. We've been doing it forever. Like, I, I remember people twerking during the New Jack Swing. 
You know what I mean? Yes, and, exactly. and before that, but, like, definitely during New Jack Swing, I think, is, like, when, you know, twerking really became, like, a thing. We weren't calling it twerking, you know. Right. We were calling it something else, but that's what they were doing. They were popping their booties. You know what I mean? Exactly. And if you've ever so. been to a gay club, especially, you know, a gay men's club, they will put you to shame. I used to be out on the dance floor and be like, damn. <laughs> Okay. So this was back in Atlanta's heyday. You, oh, I had a really good. Time you were you were out of the freaknik. I know. I mean, I knew you were out of the freaknik, girl. I could tell. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take you down to Atlanta. But it's changed. It's not the same anymore. Anyway, we're getting back to our topic. Okay, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens when I start talking about Atlanta. You know, but yes, um, I know. <laughs> I love Atlanta. Those that don't know, I love it down there. Um, but anyway, um, basically, what the hell was I talking? Anyway, so yeah, you know they've been twerking, you know, for a long time. They've been appropriate. And see, this is the thing, and this is what I was talking about last week and the week before about how they tell us that we're worthless, that we're filthy, that we're animals, and that we've never made any contributions to anything. But then take a back, take a look at history. The things that they claim that they innovated and that they created, the majority of those things were taken from us. Yeah, but not. I mean, but not only that. It's just like it's like anything that that is that starts off being ours, it's always right. worthless. I mean, jazz was devil's music. Jazz was about sex, and it was gonna. It represented the destruction of society and. The and white kids roll. participating in it was like a well, yeah. And white kids participating in both jazz and rock and roll was seen as some kind of like you know sign of the degradation of society. Same with hip hop, you know. What I mean? Exactly. And um, exactly. you know, it's it's like anything that we do until they until white people start to become a part of it is not legitimate. Now that we, it's like we have all of these rappers who've been talking about things like homophobia, HIV, you know, all of these, all of these social issues, because that's what hip hop and and it started out as. It started out as CNN, basically. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, you know, they're they were talking about. We've been talking about these issues for a very long time. Now, not to say that home, you know, that hip hop doesn't have a homophobia problem, but the United States has a homophobia problem too. You know, exactly. but all of a sudden Macklemore comes through and everybody's ready to like fire him like the king of, you know, anti, you know, homophobia. You know what I mean? And right. you know, the king of like, the king of social language. Right, like the like the like the king of social justice, you know, um you know, rap. You know what I mean? Like like no exactly. one had ever done that before. Like no one had ever done that before, and it's so ridiculous to me. And I mean, and 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 like you said, he did acknowledge his privilege, but at the same time, he benefited. Like you know, exactly. I mean, at least he at least he acknowledged that Kendrick Lamar probably deserved that Grammy, which I think he did. Right. You know what I mean? At least he acknowledged that. But you know, I mean, the fact of the matter it doesn't change anything. It's you know, Macklemore is is one person. You know what I mean? We're talking about white supremacy in general. Exactly. You know what I mean? White supremacy gave Macklemore the Grammy. That's exactly. What and, and, and white supremacy also makes Tim Wise an authority on black issues. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
oh, oh, I almost want to tell the Holy Spirit to come help me because, you know, start getting into conversations like this, you know, um, it's it's discouraging. It's disheartening. And, you know, he values the work of the people who not only have been out here trying to educate others, it, it devalues and totally disregards the people who are going through it then and now. I mean, you it, know, it really so does. And, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so, it's so, it really is disheartening because, you know, it's like so many things, you know, black voices and, you know, our struggle is ignored, you know what I mean, so often. You know, a lot of times, like, I see research, like, sometimes I pull articles and, like, I see research that's being done, and it's like, you know, black people have been telling you this. We've been telling you this, you know what I mean, for the longest time, and they're just now making these connections in 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 the academic literature because, you know, now now things are starting to move in a direction where they're sort of becoming a little bit more multicultural thinking in academia. You know what I mean? But right. for years it was like unless you could like directly quantify it, you know, or you got somebody who who wanted to take the time to use their research money to decide, you know, to, to study it, it wasn't going to get covered, therefore it had no legitimacy. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's why I and now that article. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that article that I posted, because I want you to remember where you are so you can pick up, because what you're saying goes in with that article, and I'm going to find it and post it again, but it was talking about how, you know, white people don't believe black people when we say what we're going through and how those people are not our friends or real allies. But go ahead, hon. Right. No, I remember that. I remember seeing that article, too. That was a good article. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Coffee. Anyway, um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to burp. That was my fault. Um, I'm sorry. Way to come back because, you know, we're on the same subject. And so, you know, this kind of leads into. No, I was going to I was just going to finish and say that, um, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's basically, it's based on a lot of different things, but I mean, some of it goes back to stereotypes around slavery. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, you know, and just this belief that, you know, black people are malingering and that they lie and that they're frivolous and, you know what I mean, that they can't be serious and they can't be trusted and all of these sorts of things. So some of it goes back even to slavery. So, you know, exactly. um, this this notion that black people can't be trusted at their word and some of it, some of it is just, you know, just the inability to recognize black pain. You know, the and I mean some of it some of it's an inability to recognize and some of it is just straight up not you know, disregarding it. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's kind of difficult to to uh distinguish between those who blatantly disregard it and those who, who just can't emphasize. But um but it starts early. I mean, you know, we talked about it on the show before. It's like as a child as a child, when you're looking at, when you're reading books, when you're reading, when you're watching Disney movies, when you're watching television shows, pretty much all of the characters are white. You know what I mean? And very rarely are there characters who of color that you are supposed to empathize with or that you're supposed to um, be interested in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or that you're supposed to identify with. And so 
it, you know, even for people of color, it becomes difficult for some of us to empathize with the pain of and, and suffering of other people of color. So it's, um, you know, it's it's really, really, really difficult, you know, to be a person of color in this world and to be in pain and to express that pain and have it have it recognized, you know. I'm, you know, I read a book called Black Pain by Terry Williams, and mm-hmm. I think I'm going to reach out to see if she can come on the show. Now, mind you guys, she's a believer. She's spiritual, if you will, but, you know, we're talking about the contents of the book. <laughs> she specializes in, in you know, a particular vocation. And so, um, yeah, I think because, you know, I, we did a show on Black Pain, but I want to do another one and, and, you know, have her on and she can talk about because she used to um, basically um, consult with a lot of the celebrities and what have you. So I'm not sure if she's still doing that or not, but anyway, we'll get back to that. But, you know, again, I am so mad. I'm sorry. What? I just I'm just thinking about that that term trans ethnicity. It is so it is so ignorant on so many levels. You know what I mean? Like right. I I just can't. You know what I mean? If you could just right. I I don't know. I feel like in a way it almost also diminishes transsexuality and transgenderism. Exactly. At the same time, like it, like it, like it trivial, like it trivializes those things. Like, exactly. oh, I just decided that I'm going to be a man today. That's not how it works. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's not like it's almost like they're trying to equate those things, and that's not how it works. Like it doesn't. That's not even remotely how it works. You know what but I mean? And it's because we don't understand it. And when we try to explain these things, we dismiss it because it's coming out of our mouths. And then they spend, you know, millions of dollars researching something that we gave them the answer to, you know, 150 years ago. But it's just, it just it's, it's the erasure, I think, that bothers me. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's like black people, exactly. it's like people of color are always being erased. You know, we're being erased from history. You know what I mean? We're being erased mm-hmm. from, you know, from 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 pop culture. You know what I mean? We're being erased in, in just in just so many areas. You know what I mean? There's like there's even, you know, history. Um, people who are trying to amend history books and amend history curriculum so that the issues of people of color, issues based on gender. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you know, immigration and all these sorts of things are being a fundamentally erased from exactly. the curriculum, exactly. and it's like, and and it's the the thought that some that it would pop into somebody's head to use their privilege, you know what I mean, to right. to come up with a to just invent a term, you know what I mean, right, and and uh, erase uh. and to erase us with. Is just, I mean, it's not, it's not surprising, but it's just, it just, just highlights the audacity, you know what I mean, sure. and the sheer gall of people with, with white privilege, you know exactly. what I mean? It just, exactly. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm it's right there, so, you know, it's so insulting. Like the slaves, 
Yeah, but they're acting like the slaves were brought over here for a work program and they had H-1B visas and they were happy to do the work that they did. <laughs> Girl, I'm telling you, if, if, they could, if some people, if there, there are people who would write that as history if they could get away with it. But see, this you. is the thing. They've been and all they need history. is a couple of, I was going to say, all they need is a couple of generations of this post-racialist bullshit and they'll be able to write that shit and legitimately get away with it. Exactly. And that's what's been happening, you know, over time. And this is why, you know, you hear us protesting about, you know, how they're rewriting the history or revising the history, um, how they're whitewashing a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I put an article up about how they were whitewashing Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And, you know, that leads into what we're talking about with you know, the trans ethnicity and the whitewashing. We're talking about the civil rights movement. And, you know, and even with the black power movement, I kind of consider them, you know, parallel in a lot of different ways. Not necessarily the same, but, you know, there is a lot of parallelism there. No, they were the there. same movement. They were the same movement. The black right. power yeah. people and the... They were the same movement. There was no because the black black power movement was not about because the black power movement was never about black supremacy. It was afterwards that people were on that black supremacist nonsense. Right. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. The black the black power movement was about empowering black people because we were disempowered. You know what I mean. Exactly, and it was about black nationalism or. You know, right. what it turned into. So that was why I was kind of hesitant I mean, well, about. There's a couple different flavors of black nationalism. Not all black nationalism is the same. But there was there was a time that black nationalism was was um, you know that it was it, it was and still is necessary in some ways because right. black people black people are disempowered and part of that being disempowered is is economic and political. And the only way that you can address those things fundamentally, particularly in this day and time, is to control your money. You know what I mean? Exactly. And exactly. and there's and, and and you know you have to have businesses. You have to be able to sustain those businesses. You know you have to be able. They have to be protected by the rule of law. You know what I mean? Exactly. There's so many things that go into it. So you know there's there's different flavors of black nationalism there's there's the black nationalists who want complete and total separation that's not our, that's not what what most black exactly. nationalists then or now even are focused on now there's a lot of black nationalists who are out there who do but i would say that most black nationalists are not for complete and total separation completely exactly. i mean there's just and 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 if they're realistic they know that that's not even something that can happen in a globalized world in a globalized exactly. economy so exactly. that's that's, like, that's sort of a moot point to me, but you know there's there's some things about black nationalism that I think are necessary. I think that I think that you know that we as black people should be able to be able to find things that are made for and by black people. But it's difficult for black people to get the loans, to get the the um you know to get you know to get the um, licenses. You know what I mean? To yeah. get you know, to get the, the sort of support that businesses need in order to get started. You know, it's very difficult for black people to get to get loans and things in this country. And the and, and if you look at what the financial industry just did to all of these, you know, not just black people but, you know, poor, you know, and poor poor communities and, and communities of color with this last housing crisis, 
you know, exactly. it's, it's easy to see. It's easy to see why there aren't as many black business owners out there. It's difficult to yeah, they get the collateral. They just, uh, it wiped out the right. wealth. Exactly. Right. You wiped and out the wealth. Will. Yeah. And that's the reason and then, why. And then, you and, know, then if you, and then what wealth they are having, you are you are taxing it away. Or, or not just taxing it away. I'm saying taxing it away, not just in terms of, like, income tax. I mean, you basically are taxing it away in terms of, you know, licenses. Like, they have to have voter IDs. They have all these warrants and these civil, you know, these civil, um, you know, fees or whatever that they're trying to, you know, trying to um, trying to put on black people, like all those warrants, you know, like right. in Ferguson, for example. You know, three exactly. three warrants per household. You know, exactly. how is somebody, how is a family supposed to earn savings and things like that if they can get a ticket, get ridden up for a ticket for spitting on the sidewalk? That's a hundred, two hundred dollars, and then goes to a to a, to some kind of crazy fine after that. Come on, it's just exactly. insane. Exactly, and you know, all of that, you know, plays into what we're going to be talking about today. Because again, with the trans ethnicity thing, yeah. When I saw that, you know, my eyes all popped out my head, and it was one of those moments that you know how Facebook refreshes itself, and then you can never find the article again. <laughs> but you read enough of it to remember the important terms. Are and you talking about that article about that was written that was talking about how um, how anti atheism is racism? Oh no! Even about that. We'll get to that toward the end of the show. Let's you know oh. you bookmark that. Is bookmark this a two-hour show? Oh, yes, it is. Two-hour show. We'll I really bookmark. didn't want to do a two-hour show. So let's, okay. let's, let's let's talk. He's gonna be here because we already did an hour. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. So it's just interesting because, like I said earlier, you know. There are people that want to appropriate our culture, but they don't want to go through the struggle. And then mm-hmm. they try to write our experiences off as, well, it really wasn't that bad. Really? Really? Because I've seen people, you know, make these statements, and it's like it's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, going back into the civil rights movement and, you know, what it stood for, in this country, you know, not only the blacks in this country, but people all over the world. And in a roundabout kind of way, white people as well, because I know one of the issues that came up with the LGBTQ movement is when they were trying to usurp the terminology of civil rights movement. And you know, one of the issues that I had with that, and this is not the last time you're going to hear me talking about this. Excuse me. I was talking about how, you know, um, the issues of racism, sexism, and even transphobia has not been fully um, rectified or even discussed in the LGBTQ community. So we're still dealing with racism being members of this community. How is it that you say that you admire our achievements with the civil rights movement and you want to usurp that particular, you know, phrase and that movement and the tactics used while you still hate us? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've seen that 
you know, in several different scenarios. But anyway, with the civil rights movement, you know, with civil disobedience, and basically um, we've talked about Bayard Rustin and how he worked with um, Martin Luther King Jr. to implement some of the techniques that, you know, that Gandhi have followed. And so, you know, civil disobedience, you know, has been in effect in this country from the very beginning. From the very beginning, I mean, when they decided that they no longer wanted to be a colony, that was civil disobedience. And, you know, there were other movements, you know, around the world that took um, some of their lessons from, you know, the civil disobedience of the, you know, um, civil rights movement. And so, you know, just wanted to let you guys know, because, I mean, even with the Cape Town Peace March in 1989, you know, they, you know, used the tactics, you know, civil disobedience was one of the tactics. And they said that they were inspired by, you know, the civil rights movement in America. I mean, even the Tiananmen Square protests. Remember when that one young man stood in front of that tank? You know, and even, you know, with the Tibetan protests, you know, and, you know, what's interesting about that in Ferguson is that they some of the Tibetan monks came over to support, you know, the people down in Ferguson. And when I had posted that on my wall and I made a comment about what is the atheist community doing, and you have one cynical person come on and say, that the Tibetan monks were only there for as a publicity stunt or what have you. Remember this, Raina? And we were saying that how do you know what was in their hearts? How do you know why the, you know you know why they were there? And so, you know, um we were getting support all over the world with, you know, this Ferguson thing. And it has not stopped in Ferguson, even though it's not being, you know, reported on the news. And like I said I've been posted much in the past week or two, um, but I'm going to try to get back on it. But I've been keeping up with what's been happening in Ferguson. And they are still down there protesting. They're down there protesting. They're being arrested. As a matter of fact, they're putting them in orange jumpsuits. I did post that yesterday and how the bills are exorbitant. And they're doing that on purpose. I guess they feel if they can keep these people jailed, you know, it will scare some of the other people into leaving and it won't be as many protesters. And this was even after the police chief, you know, filmed an apology to Mike Brown and the protesters, and they still have not been able to deter people to make them go home because they're tired of the protests. They're tired of, and you know, now that the Department of Justice is investigating, you know, not only Ferguson, but St. Louis County, as well as many other counties across this country that have excessive, you know, complaints about the police state. And so, you know, a lot of the issues that we're seeing now, even with the Ferguson and, you know, as Raina was talking earlier about three warrants per household and, um, the heavy-handed policing. This has been going on over and over. And, you know, when we were talking about black wealth last week and a little bit about what Raina just, you know, was talking about, about how 
hard it is to, you know, start a black business and how, you know, even more difficult it is to maintain it. You know, what has happened, you know, and we did a show on this, is that when we are economically and politically viable and, you know, prospering, there were white people that would come in and destroy what we've had. And my number one question that I've always put out there, we can do it. How do we keep it? Mm -hmm. They always find ways to take it. That is the issue. That is the issue. And, you know, thinking about our parents and our grandparents, the ones that were out there fighting during the Civil Rights Movement, because all of that was done before Raina and I were born, even though we benefited in theory from it. But, again, you know, you have to remember and go back and look through history. What they were giving us in one hand, they were taking back with the other hand and some. So a lot of the so-called achievements and advances that were made with the civil rights and the feminist movement of that day, that has been rolled back in some, which is why you hear a lot of us saying we're starting over from scratch, over and over and over, because, you know, that's why I say we have to cultivate some of these young people and train them and show them what to look for. Unfortunately, once we figure out what they're doing and how to stop it and how to inform other people, they turn around and change the rules. And then you got to figure it out all over again. And, you know, um, it's just it's really interesting, um, especially when the U.N. came down to Ferguson and they charged the U.S. and told them that they need to deal with the racism in this country. But yet we're running all over the place trying to liberate everyone else when we're not even liberated here. And so it's just we're, interesting Well, we're because trying to liberate. It's just not we're not liberating people. We're trying to liberate oil. Exactly. So. <laughs> Be free, yeah. let it flow free, right? And let it free, <laughs> but flow free. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we trying to do. So, exactly. Exactly. And you know, again, you know, getting back which is, to what um, Martin, which is another, which is another reason why you know um, the new green movement, you know, the the protest that you know was um, that happened, I think, what two Sundays ago? Yes, yeah. in New York. Um, Right in New York, why people in the New Green Movement are tying civil rights to the to the Green Movement, and and recognizing mm-hmm. that um, that the oppression of various groups is tied a lot to resources and to our dependence on fossil fuels and non renewable energy. So um, you know, and it leads to war and to conflict. Um, Because, you know, anyone who thinks that that we're just going into Afghanistan or Syria or any of these other places um, simply, you know, for reasons of national security or to to help liberate or give people democracy, (laughs) you know, it's, you know, you're fooling yourselves, you know. Right. There are economic interests and there are strategic interests 
that are being protected, you know. And um, like that's because we have a good propaganda machine. But go ahead. Right. Right. And I mean, and and unfortunately, um, a lot of the um, media outlets are are you know they're they're culpable in this, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there actually was a, a really good article that was put out about some of the pundits that you see on television, especially these retired generals. Mm-hmm. A lot of these retired generals are on the payroll of a lot of these corporations. So, they're, exactly. so their whole purpose is to go on to these shows and convince the American public that um, going to war is the correct thing to do. So, they, exactly. of course, you've never seen, you've hardly ever seen a general ever get on television and say, no, maybe we shouldn't go to war. Maybe we should try diplomacy. There's a reason for that. <laughs> so, oh, you know. So, but I mean, and there, are some, that, and there are some that are out there, I'm sure, but you're never going to see them on TV. Exactly, so. exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, in addition to that, the economic factors of it, even though, you know, when you look at the GDP, it says that, you know, our economy is 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 building back up or is somewhat stable, that is not necessarily the truth. Because we still have people that are unemployed, underemployed. There are some people that have just given up on, you know, trying to attain gainful employment. And when we go to war, I just want you guys to remember this. Someone has to make the bullets. Someone has Mm -hmm. to make the jets. Someone has to make the uniforms. You know, it, it, it generates money. It generates mm-hmm. money. It you know we already are sitting on another bubble as far as this economy is concerned, and we, I'm personally I'm just sitting back waiting for it to pop because you know they called this last well, one. Well, they're actually they're saying the next bubble to pop uh, in the green movement. They're saying the next bubble to pop is the fossil fuel bubble because they're saying yeah. that even um, even in the spec in in the market, you know um, what they're you know all of those oil reserves that you that you hear about, like the the potential of all of these oil mm-hmm. reserves, is all speculative. Right. Because exactly. the problem is is that is that a lot of a lot of those a lot of those supposed resources they can't get it out of the ground. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. They can't get it out of the ground, and so and so um, you know a lot of <clears throat> a lot of people um the Rockefeller for example, and you know the Rockefellers. They're they're the heirs to Standard Oil, which became Exxon, right? Right. right. The the Rockefellers have divested from fossil fuels, and that was big money, right there, you guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's a big deal, you know, for for a family that you know basically came into its wealth because of fossil fuels to say. We're no longer investing in fossil fuels. We're only investing in renewable energy. That's exactly. A big deal. Exactly, and and it's not being talked about enough. And that's one of the reasons why you know Lorena and I we talk all the time, and we were talking about you know green energy and implementing some programs um, in you know these communities that we're going to be working with. I know I'll be working with the communities in Los Angeles when and if I ever get there. But, you know, some projects on green energy, getting some training on green energy, training some of the kids on green energy so that they can have a sustainable skill 
and they'll be ready for the future because that's where it is. You know, I'm telling you guys, you, you have to pay attention. And when you see a family like the Rockefellers divesting, that speaks volumes. You need to pay attention. Right, because what they're saying is is that all of these all of these um, these companies, these markets are going to crash because exactly. eventually, because because they are running out of places to go to get the oil out of the ground, and the places that they have to go are deeper in the earth and in the ocean than they're capable of doing. And and not just that, but they but they pollute, they make exactly. drinking water and resources unavailable. You know, they they they're they're changing our climate. You know, I mean. There's um what's that pipeline? There's a pipeline that comes out of I think um I don't know if it's Wisconsin or if it's North Dakota, but um not Keystone. There's another one, but um there's an, you know there's pipelines all over the place. But there's um I think there's one in um I think it's Minnesota, and um I was listening to this Native American woman talk about how she. Um, she did a like a ride along this uh, a horseback ride along this pipeline, and um, mm-hmm. you know she was praying and you know doing some other things, but talking about like the landscape or whatever. And um, this one pipe, I think they said it spews when it when it leaks. I think it's something like twenty thousand, like twenty thousand is it twenty thousand gallons per per minute? Wow! Wow! You know? I think it's between. It's wow. somewhere. I, I don't know if it was. I, I don't know if it was two hundred. I think it was twenty thousand. I'm going to say twenty thousand because that sounds. Because I, I hope I was hoping it was twenty thousand rather than two hundred thousand. But either way, that's too many gallons. And if you think right. about it, there's no, there's no, there's no one that can stop. You know, one of these. You know, these um, these leaks that happen. You can't stop it in ten minutes. You know what I mean? Well, if it's twenty thousand a minute, you've got two hundred thousand gallons by ten. You know what I mean? These are these are probably it. issues that take hours to resolve. But before exactly. but before you resolve it, you've killed an entire ecosystem. You've killed exactly. a natural resource, an, a source of water. You know, for the local wildlife, for the for the people who live in that region, you've probably contaminated groundwater. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, Exactly. You know, there's so many things. Exactly. And so a lot of people don't understand what's happening in this country as far as water, you know, our water resources, you know, are concerned. Um, we, we're in trouble. You know, right. we're definitely in trouble. And, you know, one of the first things they teach you in the military is the, the way to control a country is to control their oil and their water resources. Okay, and then you have presidents of, you know, major corporations in in the United States trying to say that water should not be a free resource to everybody. And the next thing they're going to say is that they want to charge us for air. So we just want you all to pay attention because the water resources, um, they're drying up. I mean, look at what's happening over in California. And it's not just California. It's happening really the country, and even with some of these water reclamation um, departments, um, utility departments, um, they're not doing as good of a job as they should be. I mean, you've seen these videos of people setting their faucets on fire. 
you're seeing videos, them telling you, oh, you can drink that water, and it looks like mud is coming through the faucet. Mm-hmm. You need to pay attention to what's happening. You know, I'm not really um, versed on that. You know, maybe Raina can give us a few more, you know, pieces of information about it, but I just know that we are headed for a major disaster. And, you know, again, it goes back to whoever is controlling those particular resources. So I want you to think about it. If you control the oil and the water, you control you control the people, period. And so, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about with the Civil Rights Movement and the Poor People's Campaign, with Martin Luther King Jr., when he was incorporating, you know, um, economically disadvantaged whites or poor whites, if you will, into the poor people's campaign and was campaigning on that particular structure, um, a lot of that, you know, needs to be even implemented today. You know, if we're going to be able to do certain things, we're going to have to work collectively. And we're going to have to start understanding, you know, these cultural and social constructs and understanding why they were implemented initially and why they are still being, you know, perpetuated to this day. And that's to keep a divide, keep, you know, people fighting against each other as opposed to working with each other. Do you believe that if Martin Luther King had not been assassinated, that the, that the um, Poor People's Campaign would have been successful, Raina? Um, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I've never thought about it. Um, oh, okay. To be honest, I, I right. I've never thought about the the success or failure of of that movement, the potential success or failure of that movement. I don't. I honestly think that something akin to what happened during Bacon's rebe- rebellion would have happened, and that is that you know the you know the upper class. Um, white people would have, you know, basically instituted a new social contract, you know, and um, which is, which is basically, which is basically what has happened at various times anyway, since, but, um, but, you know, I mean, I think they would have basically just instituted that and kept it moving, you know, but, um, right. That's just how I see it. I, um, I think that the fundamental, I think the fundamental issue that has to be dealt with is um, anti-black racism, and um, you know, and 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 obviously sexism and all of that, and our and the way that we think about capitalism and the way that we think about society and how it should be organized. I think we have fundamental problems with that, you know, and until we get to the bottom of those problems, this all like all of these problems are going to just keep recurring. They're just going to come up, come back in a different form, you know. There's there's still going to be social inequity, and you know there's still going to be strife, and there's still going to be people who are, um, you know, disproportionately victims of state violence and incarceration, and you know lack of resources. So until you get to the fundamental issues and reorder society, this is just going to keep cropping up. Exactly, because, I mean, we see a real-life example of that happening now with the Tea Partiers and the Libertarians and some of these conservative Republicans. They are out here vying for a new social contract. That's exactly what it is. 
when we sit back and we try to explain that to people, and again, it's the same. It's the same play. They're playing the same game. It's the same playbook. It's just different people and different scenarios, mm-hmm. but the end result is the same. And, and this is what I talk about when I'm talking about we have to think strategically. We have to think, to think long term. You know, this is what has happened. This has happened time and time again. We already see them putting the chips in order because this has always worked for them. We need to find a way to basically deconstruct that place, disrupt you know, that playbook. Exactly. We have to disrupt the and patterns. But, the, but the, and exactly. it has to take, and it's an all, it's, it's, it's not a, and it's not a single approach. It's an all, it's an all of the above approach. You know, because a lot right. of people will say if black people just had, you know, just would do this or have or go to school or get or ha- open up businesses or whatever, that that would, you know, uh, gain us a higher status in society. It's not just that. It has to be, it has to be an economic, you know, um, an economic movement. It has to be a social political movement. It has to address all of these things. It has to be an, an right. all, of, all of the above strategy. Um, right. Because anything else is just going to put us right back in the same position. You know? Exactly. So. Exactly. And that is one of the reasons why I am closely watching what's happening in Ferguson as well as what's happening in North Carolina. We were one of the first people to report on Moral Mondays because nobody was talking about it. It was the second week that it went on that we started reporting on it. And more and more people started hearing about it, and they were sharing it on Facebook as we were sharing the information. And even some people from the secular community was out there. I know, um, you know, it was a couple of, you know, young folks on my friends list that went out there. But, again, you know, what made the civil rights movement successful was the strategy. And the strategy was civil disobedience, grassroots organizing, and mass boycotts. That is that is what made it successful. And well, I think I think it was civil disobedience also combined with the fear, <laughs> the fear I mean, that of of a black yeah. uprising. I I know I really believe that I really do. Yeah. I think I think right. we talk a lot about the civil disobedience aspect, but I think a lot of people don't focus on the fact or, or don't give um, acknowledge the fact that. Um, yeah that black people um, were also engaged in active resistance. You know, they were exactly. confronting. They, we were confrontational. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, we're going to get out here and sing a pretty song, you know, and right. hope that, you know, and hope that things get better, you know, but it was, it was the fact that we were willing to be confrontational. We were willing to um, stand up for our rights. You know, um, some of us were willing to take up arms and defend our communities against state violence. You know what I mean? Exactly. And exactly. and not just state violence, but um, but but the violence of other citizens that we are facing. Exactly. You know. Exactly. So I guess my question, you know, I agree with you. You know, because we've had this conversation on a number mm-hmm. of um, you know, occasions. Do you think the civil disobedience? you know, the the tactics, do you think it's become too predictable? Do we need to shake things up? I say yes. I don't know that I say that it's too predictable. I think I think what it is is that um there is uh that we are we're we live in a time where people are just generally more complacent 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and and just generally more dis disconnected from things that are going on. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think that I think the civil disobedience has its place. You know what I mean? I think that, and I think that confrontation has its place. You know what I mean? Right. So in, in some situations, civil disobedience is, um, is you know, is, is going to be the most effective tactic. Um, you know, pro, you know, large demonstrations like the demonstration that happened in New York just a couple weeks ago that had over 300,000 people, you know, is a, is a pretty massive statement. You know what I mean? Right. And that was, that was, you know, an act of civil disobedience. So that's, that's, that that has its place, um, but I think that I think that confrontation, like what um, you know, like what happened in um, in Canada, you know, with the 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 couple that decided that they were just going to block the import of oil, you know what I mean? Right. Into a port, you know, I think things like that are sometimes warranted. You know what I mean? So sometimes exactly. it may take you know shutting down city hall, you know, right or or you know, bum rushing the governor's office. You know what I mean? Right. And and just sitting exactly. it. It may take that. You know. I don't right. believe. Um, I don't believe in. I don't believe in in just like using violence or whatever. But I do believe that. Oh yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. I do believe that if if there if especially if someone if the state is using violence and and um and using its militaristic you know arm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. To try to right. um, forcibly, um, you know, suppress us, and I think that people have the right to resist. I'll be exactly. clear on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wasn't advocating violence. <laughs> no, I know you saying. weren't. I know you weren't advocating violence, and I'm not advocating violence for, you know, just right, right. you know, just people just going out there and just you know just doing things. But I definitely believe that if if um, they're actively using violence and you know, their, you know, all of their military weaponry to suppress, you know, American citizens, then we have mm-hmm. every right to get out there and to resist by any means necessary because they, they that is not what the, um, what the military or what police should be doing on American exactly. soil. They shouldn't be doing that. They have, exactly. they have no right to be doing what they're doing in, down in Ferguson, you know, purposefully setting off, um, you know, getting crowds agitated or going into crowds and pushing people around and, you know what I mean, and, you know, arresting right. them on, on trumped-up charges. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, exactly. And and I'll give you another example. This happened over in Europe. Um, you know, it was around the time in the 70s when McDonald's, of all places, they were being welcomed into European countries. But it was this one small town called Malau. And basically, they didn't want the McDonald's there. And so when they were trying to build the McDonald's, when the construction workers would leave for the evening, they would go and dismantle all their work every night, whatever they <laughs> built up. The next day, yeah, I think I remember good. hearing about that, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I mean, that type of thing works as well. I mean, you know, you probably get arrested, but, I mean, it was symbolic, if nothing yeah. else, you know. And mm-hmm. um, what happened in London, you know, people aren't familiar. This happened in London, uh, March 31st of 1990. The people there, they refused to pay the poll tax, you know, the anti-poll tax. 
um, campaign. And what happened, and the police lost this fight, and what happened, it says here, um, it was talking about um, they were just learning from the situation here, but what they did was they had a a nationwide network of campaigns and non-payment unions had developed. These groups brought people who were ordinarily isolated or not politically active together. Their strategy was to resist at every step, refusing to register for the poll tax, contesting liability orders from the council, thus clogging up the legal system, and finally refusing payment. This was highly effective. Tax collection was ineffective, and the situation was polarized at great expense to the ruling conservatives who were forced to depose their leader and retreat from the full legislation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, just like um, there was a there was a discussion that was had in D.C. Uh, about a couple about a month or so ago, and uh, there was a woman there who was talking about um, about basically using the international courts, you know, to bring charges against the United States for violations right. of of human rights and things like that. So, I mean, like I said, I think it's an all above an, an all of the above strategy. You know, there's different groups that have different focuses. And, you know, they don't have to necessarily work in concert, but I think that, you know, everyone needs to find the approach that works for them, and I think that they need to be bold enough and um, and resolute enough to just, just keep attacking on that front. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And I see we have a call. I'm going to pick it up in a second. Um, you know, what I find interesting, you know, about, you know, what's happening in Ferguson, they interrupted the symphony the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been, you know, flooding the city council meetings and, you know, um, making sure that they had a voice. And over 3,000 additional people have registered to vote, you know, in Ferguson. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm always talking about voter registration on this show. I'm, hope, I'm hoping you guys are registered. Get registered right. to oh, vote. And another, oh, another thing is, is that, you know, um, a lot of people – they talk about Twitter as, you know, not being um, in, in social media activism as though it's not real activism. But I just wanted to point out that um, recently that it was, a, you know, someone on Twitter or people on Twitter actually were um, able to point out that there may have been a breach of, um, of the grand jury, the, um, the grand jury yeah. you know, that's supposed to be, yeah. um, you know, determining whether charges should be brought against uh, Officer Wilson. So, I mean, that is an important, you know, an important thing, you know, to have, you know, people with their various, you know, types of skills doing all of the things that they're good at, you know. That would not have been brought to light had there not been someone on Twitter who was being vigilant, you know. Exactly. In, in addition to that, there was over 300,000 people at that protest in New York a couple of weeks ago, and I did not see it on any news, to be honest with you. I saw it on different articles on the Internet. That happened because of Twitter. You understand mm-hmm. the protests that happened in these other countries, what happened over in Egypt, because of Twitter. They were able to organize via Twitter. The social media is a vehicle. It's a major vehicle. And this is why you hear us going off about this net neutrality and why it's bad. And unfortunately, I've told people, um, you all need to check, especially these congressional black Congress people, because many of them are behind that. And no, we do not need net neutrality. Let's pull this call into 
the show. Hello, 360? May we ask who's Hey, this is, this is Travis from Funny to the Moon. Hey, Travis. How Hi, you Travis. doing? How you doing, uh, Rain and Kim? How y'all doing? Good. Good, good. good. You know, I was How listening you? to what you were talking about, and it reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday with somebody. Like, somebody was talking to me about... Um, uh, how did, he was breaking it down about like um, recycling, conserving the earth, uh, 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 you know, dealing with this, um, you know, ozone layer thing. And I just said to him, I said, hey, man, until I, as a black man, can go to the store and back to the house without worrying about you being shot, I'm not going to care about global warming. I'm sorry. I, I, I got, um, you know what I mean? It's uh, It seems like... Um, it seems like a, a, an issue that's far away from a, um, a real issue. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? I'm, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I think I understand what you're saying. I mean, from a, from a, from from an everyday standpoint, it does seem remote to a lot of people of color, and that's and that's a reality, and that's a reality that has to be brought up when you're having discussions about about um, the green movement and all of that type of thing. But the thing about it is, is that global climate change actually impacts people of color worse, you know what I mean, than it does other groups of people because people of color tend to be um, poorer and have fewer, uh, less access to to resources. So when you're talking about things like access, uh, like food deserts, right, so that black man walking to the store, yeah, he might get shot, but if he makes it to the store, what he might, what he ends up being able to purchase at that store is not as nutritious if, if there's anything to buy in the store, if there's a store to buy from. You know what I mean? Right. But it ends up being less nutritious. It ends up um, being at higher cost. You know what I mean? Than sure. what it ought to it's be. One thing to so go to the so store, all of these are, Yeah, but all of these things are connected. Corn. But also because because he lives in that neighborhood that has fewer access, access to fewer resources and, and um, less access to living wage jobs and high gas prices and all of those things. Those those that tends to be a contributor to levels of crime, which tends to feed into, you know, um, greater level of policing. You know what I mean? More surveillance, you know? So, you know, these things are connected. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They are are all connected. We were trying to figure out how to stop some of the police brutality. I think we came with with a way to do it. There's an article uh, this week, last week, that was talking about how some of these police departments, in their budget, they have budgeted for them being sued for, you know, for police brutality, and when they lose mm-hmm. cases, and the money comes out of that, well, they shouldn't be able to do that. I think right. that when they, like the case in um, California, where the police was on mm-hmm. top of the woman and she got 1.5 right. million, well, then everybody exactly. in that department, everybody in the department's check should have been 100 dollars lighter. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then that way, oh, I'll be like, uh, hey, Jim, I, I thought you were having a, um, a Sweet 16 party for your daughter. Well, I can't because Bob beat somebody up last year, and he just we just lost the case. And now my, my check is short $300 this month. No party for right. my little daughter. Maybe, maybe we should think about that next time. We're getting weird to realize something. No, I, I understand, and I, think, and I think maybe if there was some sort of I mean, you know, um, a lot of times when there's a, um, a, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
you're right. I, 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 you know, you don't usually see that in terms of like other jobs, like, you know, where people are short at a hundred dollars, but it is a different kind of responsibility being a police officer. And, you know, Kim and I have talked about this before. Like, I think one of the things that I'm against is, um, is having, you know, stricter, um, stricter uh, penalties for right. assaulting police officers or killing police officers or whatever. You know, I think, you know, as a police officer, you, you know, you better be aware that by taking that job, you know what I mean, that you right. are, um, you're, you're putting yourself at greater risk. And I certainly don't think that, like, someone who, say, was in fear of their life from a police officer, because we all know that not all cops are good cops. You know what I mean? Exactly. Should be penalized, you know, for defending themselves, you know, or fighting back. You know, well, yeah, they have to they, really check it out. I mean, they got to have cameras on them at all times, and I think they have yeah. cameras on them at all times, on their body, on their hat, on the inside of the car, on the outside of the car, and the police cannot have the ability to mute them, erase them, cut it off. You exactly. see what I'm saying? It has yes. to be like, see, that's, that's that the video, important part. Yeah, that's the important part is who has control of the tapes because it's not just the taping. Both to both the citizen group and to the police. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. So so maybe the citizen group doesn't look at all the tapes all the time, but they got them every time. It all goes to this. Right, and that's why. Boom. Yep, that's why, you know, all the videos should go to an off-site third-party, you know, site that they've contracted with and it's on the server. And the police department does not have, they have access to the server, but not the ability to delete or edit anything. They only have the ability to view it, period. And the citizens should have access the same way. And the only people that should have access to be able to edit and delete it are probably like independent group that, you know, that's looking out for the citizens. Um, right, but really, that, why would anybody be able to delete it? Because tape is cheap or storage is cheap, and exactly. uh, uh, there'd be no reason to ever delete it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, uh, I, I think, and they did it in some city, I think maybe Rialto, California, and they said that police brutality went down cer- a certain percentage. That was a big number, like 60 or 70. And um, reporting of police brutality went down even more than that. Right. So, mm-hmm. so think about it. You got a camera on. You won't even um, put false charges on the police because the camera's on everywhere. Everybody knows that right. the camera's on. You would think that would okay. work, except in the um, uh, Eric Gardner in New York, a guy got choked out. Right. You know what I'm talking about? I, I watched yeah. that tape and, I, and I'm like, he knew, and the police both. That was the scary part about it is the police officers knew that the cameras were on them when they did that. See, you know what right. I'm saying? That's, that's the part that blew my mind. Right. It's one thing right. when they, oh, I didn't know the cameras were on me, and they caught me beating up somebody. You know what I mean? That's one thing. Well, they, but, probably, they probably didn't think that the person was even close enough to really see what was, you know, really happening. You know what I mean? Maybe, so, maybe, maybe that's you know. what the Brown and Pound guys thought in in, uh, in California. But they uh, somebody said, you know, they sell that out of court real fast, but you got to keep watching because sometimes they'll do that, and then they'll do the switcheroo on you. And, and right. you know what I mean? So, she, she really won't well, get they that were money. harassing. Well, they were harassing the the man who um who filmed the you know that struggle. Yeah, yeah and his yeah, and girlfriend and wife, right? Right. Yeah, they were flashing lights in their home in the middle of the night. You know, the police um, 
searchlight, the spotlight they were flashing that in their home. They were watching them constantly driving by the house, um, you know, um, arresting them for whatever, you know, any little reason. I believe he had a warrant out and they were harassing her. It got to the point that they had to leave their own home because, you know, he produced the video that showed that Eric Gardner, you know, um, that it was just, police brutality, period. But, you know, what's interesting about all of this, you know, tying it into Ferguson and, you know, the the topic today is I read an article yesterday about how after, you know, this debacle down in Ferguson, how many of these police departments want to get rid of the military um, 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 gear, and they're not able to send it back. They are being told that they cannot send the gear back. And it's like it's the whole thing is just like I said, it's one big clusterfuck. And this is why we have to be vigilant. This is why we have to stay on top of it. But not and just that, is, Kim. But not just uh-huh. that, Kim. There are police departments that have lost, you know, lost some of this some mm-hmm. of this gear. It's just completely unaccounted oh, yeah. for. And it's like exactly. it's like it's just it's just ridiculous to me that. A police department should should have or or still um you know still be able to maintain what they've been given, you know when they can't account for it, you know right like they should be, right. they should be forced to give all of their stuff back and they should never be um allowed to receive surplus military gear ever again. I mean it's it's I think it's that same guy from out of Texas, Sheriff Arpaio. Or whatever mm-hmm. his department. Oh yeah, I think they were saying his department actually was missing several firearms. Mm-hmm. Several. Mm-hmm. Like how? Exactly. Do you miss, like it's a firearm. You know what I mean? Like you can't. Right. Mis- it's not a wallet. Like you can't misplace a. Like you just misplace a firearm. Really? Right. You know. Exactly. Exactly. But no, somebody. You know, somebody is selling something on the black market, and uh, you know, uh, obviously. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Or oh, or they're giving it or they're giving it or or what I think is probably happening because this is Texas and this is Sheriff Arpaio that we're talking about that probably right. has found its way into the hands of vigilantes. Exactly. You know. And and exactly. not, I don't mean like I don't think it, you know that they're selling it on the black market but they're probably giving it away to their friends who are in these, you know, these immigrant, you know, uh these yeah. anti-immigrant vigilante groups. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, what people don't seem to realize is that, you know, a lot of xenophobia and, you know, the racism that we that we see today and now they're directing it towards these immigrants. This is not the first time this has been happening forever in this country. And, you know, this is why we teach about the history, about how at one point they were lynching Filipinos in this country. They were lynching Italians. They were lynching Irish. They were lynching every damn body, you know, that was different than themselves. And like I said, history repeats itself. What we're seeing now with the immigrants, the same issue was happening when they went and stole California, from you know, uh, from so I mean, it's over. So my thing is, again, we have to think long term. We have to think strategically. It's the same play. It's the same story. It's the same tactics. We need to be able to throw a damn monkey wrench into that and deconstruct it. 
Right. Because our well, reactions have always been the same, so it yields the same results. Go ahead, Travis. Yeah, you're right. You got to drill down. Like somebody, um, you know, how every once in a while, I mean, y- uh, y'all might hang up on them, but I'll like try to listen to them for a little while, but then still like crush them. Like, like uh, it's like somebody tries to like um, derail your objections to our society, and they'll go, well, well, why don't you come with a solution? And I'm like, hey, man, we ain't finished figuring out what the whole problem is. You know, you see how people, people try to shut you down. Well, well, I don't have no solutions. I just hear you complain. Hey, man, I ain't figuring it all out. I can't fix until I figure out the but the problem is this, right? Like that's like that's like a that's like asking a victim to come up with a solution to their victimization, exactly. right? It's like exactly. you know, if if somebody's trying to murder me, you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not upon me to resolve the situation. You have to just decide to not murder me. You know right. what I mean? Because you're me right. running uh, away, you're right, because me running away and defending myself is the only thing that I can do. You know, you know, what I mean? you know you're right about that. I'll give you an example of that, that I've been arguing people down. I came up with a good one y'all can use. Um, uh, like, we're talking about Mike Brown and Ferguson or something like that, and then some uh, black Republican or Tea Party or Libertarian person or Republican will say, well, why are you talking about this police shooting and not the black-on-black crime in Chicago? I'm like, hey, man, the police officer who shot the unarmed black person was the one who was supposed to be stopping the armed black people, not me. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And see, that's the thing. It's called deflection. And they come in, and I mean, they even got other black people doing this. And, you know, you know, uh, people they of do. other races do the same thing. That will come in and say, well, before you talk about that, shouldn't you be talking about black on black crime? And my response to that is if we're not going to talk about white on white crime and give it the same weight as black on black crime, there's nothing to talk about. Because, you know, and we've already been through all of that. But the thing is, is that just looking at, you know, these situations, and, yes, they're going to throw, you know, deflections in there. They're going to play oppression Olympics. They're going to do all of these things. Everything they can to not address the particular issue, the real problem. And that has been the issue all along. And one thing I want you all, I want you to think about this. Okay, so you will have people out there, and namely I'm talking about the Ferguson situation, and they'll talk about, well, there's the rule of law. You know, they have to follow the law. If they're breaking the law, you know, you can't get mad at the police officer. He was just, you know, um, you know, tending to the law. And what's interesting is, and I want you to think about what I'm getting ready to say, the same way that they are emphatic about you know, the rule of law and keeping the law, they're saying it like the rule of law is the Ten Commandments. They're trying to enforce it like the rule of law came directly from the mouth of God. I mean, just pay attention to how, you know, how they try to, you know, you know, frame this stuff. And but the thing they is, they do that, that a lot, law, Yeah, but see, lot, the rule of law only really applies to us. Yeah, there's a there's another thing that uh, I don't know how to deal with it all the way yet, but it keeps happening. I'm sure you guys have dealt with it. It's deep. Um, we had a guy on the show, and no matter what topic we talk about, you know, we do five hours and we change topics, and no matter what topic we talked about, he had a negative black stat to go with it. 
Okay. And was this a black person or a white person? It was a guy who labeled himself uh, Italian or Sicilian uh, out of New oh, York. Okay. okay. But there In was other words, a white Republican. person. There was a yeah. black Republican out of Texas who did the same thing. And there was another black Republican out of somewhere else who did the same thing over the last couple of weeks. And give an example of how. So we were talking about how. Um, how way back in the past, like pre-European uh, jumping in and, and, and dipping into Africa, said that in Africa they didn't have any orphanages and they didn't have any old folks' homes because they don't throw away their children and they don't throw away their old people. And over and 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 uh, and, the, and and in Europe, yeah, they had all they throw their children into the street. They throw away their old people. And I understand it because it's a, you know winter comes. There's not as much food. Hey, I, I, we ain't gonna make it. Okay. But and the guy said, "Well, black people abort more babies than, than, than white people." I'm going, "How in the hell do you have some black abortion stats in your head? And how did you bring it up right then?" You see what I'm saying? It's, right. it's a there's a certain dirtiness about it. It's rotten. There's also um, a bunch well, it's of about it's about believing that. I was going to say it's about fundamentally believing that black people are defective. Black people are defective human yep. beings. Therefore, yep. therefore, these people look for any reason to, to you know, to uh, justify their belief that black people are defective, and that's how they do. Yes. Yep. Or they had a chance already, or nobody's done nothing to them in a while. I'm like, man, do you see the numbers here? One of the stats that I, I read like two weeks ago that was the most ridiculous. I, I couldn't even imagine this. They said that in Iowa, okay, Iowa is 92.5 percent white. It is 3.3% black, but if you're black, you are eight times as likely to be arrested for possession of marijuana than if you're white. That blew my wow. mind. It blew mm-hmm. my mind. It's not. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like you know what I mean? It's like, it's like I knew that in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, if you're black, you're seven times as likely to get uh, pulled over and arrested if you're black in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And in Arizona, it's seven times as likely if you're Latino, okay? Mm-hmm. But to be right. in Iowa <laughs> at a 92 to 3% of population and you to be eight times means they're just going after you. And right. so, uh, y'all, haven't, I haven't heard from y'all for a while. I haven't been around. Um, I've been editing this documentary, and um, I, it's a documentary about the Hemp Fest. And I asked the lady why were. Um, Colorado and Washington, the first states to uh, uh, to uh, legalize marijuana, and uh, she said, "Well, maybe they're Democratic states." I said, "No, I think it's because they're really white states." Exactly. Okay? And they can I keep arresting black people and filling the prisons up, and not you know make those people mad at them. You know the prison industry. Yeah, yeah, because they can they can just they can just cite uh, you know give give them citations. And I mean, I'm yeah. pretty sure that, uh, and what they've already shown is that is that black people are getting far more citations than any group yeah, they, in, they, in they, places right where they decriminalized um, marijuana. Yeah. So. There was a there was a there were eighty. Um, there are eighty some tickets given out for marijuana by one cop, and like fifty three percent of the people he gave it to were homeless, and like forty three percent or some were black. Or maybe those numbers were flip flopped. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, and I was like, "Why are you picking on the homeless people, man?" And it's the same the same premise with the um, with the budget for the police brutality. Same premise I was thinking, which was, well, 
if you, at the end of the year, we can see that you spent the majority of your money, um, uh, uh, the majority of your police budget messing with poor people, we got to take some of your budget away. Exactly. You know, but see, that's the thing. That's what we should be talking about, you know, going into the future, how to deal with these, you know, issues. And so, you know, yeah, I was laughing when you were talking about, you know, it should go towards their budget, but they should not be able to budget, you know, <laughs> you know, a lot. They shouldn't have a lawsuit budget. You know, they shouldn't have that. Um, nope. It's just interesting. But there should be a way, you know, because, again, that's why they've changed a lot of the torts. You know, changed a lot of the laws and limited how much you could sue, you know, the government or you know, the city or Port state or you know, yeah, you're anybody exactly. And you know, number one, they need to take the ceilings off of that because there are people, you know, and we've already seen it. These police officers will beat up on people because they know it's a good chance that they're just going to have a paid vacation and they're just going to be switched to a different department. But they can get away with, you know, harassing and beating and killing people in the streets, especially minorities, people of color. And, you know, this is why you hear us talking about, you know, public policies and um, addressing, you know, these particular issues. Um, we have to do something about it, and we need to start finding solutions to it because, again, as I stated earlier, um, it's the same play. It's the same play, you know, and they've been getting away with it. The only reason why it's more in the forefront now is because we have the Internet. And you've heard us talking about net neutrality and how dangerous that is because they're going to try to find a way to filter this type of information so that we don't find it, can't find it, can't share it. And, you know, we have to be able to look for solutions, you know, and I mean, and you're right, we still don't fully understand the problem. But for the little, the few problems that we do understand, we're trying to find, you know, solutions to those particular problems. And that's why, you know, what's happening down there in Ferguson this is why I'm watching it closely because this is grassroots activism at its rawest. And mm-hmm. I the people, people down there. Ferguson, Ferguson mm-hmm. was the top story, and then all of a sudden, Robin Williams, Joan Rivers, uh, beheadings, right. and boo. Uh, you don't even hear about it anymore, barely. You know, and you're right, guys. And I was listening to you guys before I got on the air about the power of uh, black Twitter or Twitter and Facebook and social media. My mom uh, uh, told me, she said, said, I didn't find out about Trayvon Martin from TV. I found out about it from from your Facebook. Exactly. 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 And that's people. Yeah. Yeah, that's why why I make a lot of my posts Because at first, my mm-hmm. my Facebook page was tight. It's, you know, you couldn't see nothing. But, you know, when I started seeing the number of people cause that started following me, I'm like, I have to make this stuff public and, you know, open it up. And, you know, we would share. Cause, I mean, I'm not the only one that, um, that posts under my account. And I was like, you know, we got to make sure we keep certain things open to the public so that people can see what's happening and share these news stories. We opened it up so that people can comment, even if they're not a Facebook friend. We want people to respond to that so if that's what they hey, want Kim? to do. Yes. 
Kim, um, we need to get to the other topic because I was trying to avoid going into overtime. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> so we're going to switch yeah. up on you guys, and we are going to talk about how atheism is now considered the new racism. Correct, Raina? Yes, because <laughs> we need to talk about that. What is there that? Is an, there is an article out here, and, of course, my computer wants to die when we finally get to this subject. But there was an article <laughs> written by a gentleman named Donald A. Collins. Um, Mr. Collins, I forget where he works. I, I believe he works with a couple of secular organizations based out of D.C. But according to Mr. Collins, um, atheism, anti-atheism qualifies as racism now. Because when did atheism become a race? Atheism, when did that become a race? I don't know. You know, you're asking the wrong one. I think it's for lack of a better word, right? Um, No, I I think he's dead You know, everybody wants to compare their path to the the, uh, black people, you know, and everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And and none of it is, okay? But they they always want want to um, co-opt our our struggle, but they never want to help us with it. You yeah, I mean? right. And they still want to, you know, they want to step over us and co-op right. our, our struggle. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But um, let me see if I can pull that up right now. Um, I, I found it. Time. You know what? Here, uh, My thing is, is that if, unless he is ready to go out here and get tear gas and catch some rubber bullets, shut the fuck up. Period. <laughs> Girl, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's so inferior. No, Travis, what were you saying, Travis? What about? Oh, um, here, uh, Raina, I just sent it to you in a uh, Facebook message. The article. <laughs> okay, your right phone dropped. She'll be back in a minute. But okay. yeah, you know, like I said, if they're not, re- if they're not willing to get, you know bitten by police dogs, you know, catch a quick shower with a, you know, fire hose, <laughs> you know, catch a couple mm-hmm. of rubber bullets, be tear gas. I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. You know? Well, like, and, yeah, I agree with that. Beat me to the to the front of the next protest if you really want to help, okay? You know, honestly, you know, uh, uh, I want to see the good white people uh, in front of the protest in Ferguson going, why don't you exactly. leave them alone? <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to see them Yeah, exactly. That. I mean, but you heard me going off about the atheist yeah. community. I'm like, where the fuck are you? And then finally someone posted, you know, that American Atheist and American Humanist Association, SSA, and they even posted one by Greta on my wall showing me that they made statements. That's all well and good, but we need some action. And, I mean, you know, the only reason why I'm not in Ferguson, um, number one, you know, I'll just put it like this. Because I have oh, the lupus. Ferguson? Yeah, because you dropped off. So, Sorry. anyway, we'll come back to that. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back. So, go ahead. Um, Travis said he inboxed you the article. Yeah, I, I didn't pick it up right as he inboxed, in, inboxed me, but I, I got it. Um but yeah, so he basically compares um, talking about atheism to the "don't ask, don't tell," right? <laughs> and he's talking about he's talking about Greta Christina's article, "The Ten Scariest States to Be an Atheist." And my whole thing is is that I read that article, and I don't think that Greta Christina would appreciate the association between anti-atheism and race 
because even she is well-versed enough in race and, you know, social justice to know that that's an inappropriate, you know, um, you know, comparison. Okay. But he, but he basically, um, he basically used her, uh, you know, her article talking about the 10 scariest states to be an atheist. And it's like, even in those states, it's like, okay, yes, it's wrong that you can be denied a job, you know, for being an atheist. And it's wrong that, you know, that you could possibly be denied the opportunity to, you know, go for a public office for being an atheist. These things are wrong. But do you get shot for being an atheist? You know what I mean? Do you get shot? You know, do you go into Walmart? Do you go into Walmart? I think the way to huh? take this, I think I, I, I like your premise. You're right. No one shot an atheist in Walmart because they had a gun. No one shot a gay person right. in Walmart because they had a gun. No right. one um, uh, choked out somebody just because they were gay. Okay, so right. I think you take all three things. Well, you they do choke list, out people but for I, being what gay. I think, like, what, I, what I think you could do is to show them where it is similar and embrace those parts, but then have that no. list in you and say, but if, but if you're black, this happens to you, and it doesn't happen to the other two. And if you're black, this happens to you, and it doesn't happen to you. You see what I'm saying? Because their um, their uh, uh, beef about having fear about coming out as an atheist in the Bible Belt, or even as a questioner, is is, is valid, right? But no, I'm to, not saying that it's not it's not valid. To compare it to race is is inappropriate. It's it's I'm inappropriate right. in so many ways, and it's inappropriate inappropriate for the reasons that we talked about earlier in the show. It's about it's, oh, it erases sure. the experiences of people of color, and that's dangerous. And it leads to violence, and it leads to the silencing of people of color and their experiences, and pushes us mm-hmm. further right. into the margin, well, and it's not right. To. Yeah, you know they're out like uh, they got the never forget, you know, and they they got all their never forgets. But if you bring up mm-hmm. uh, something from 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 uh, like you know black past, last week, why are you talking about <laughs> that? Week, you know what I mean? Not just not just from the past, but from last week, Travis. That's true. You're you know really true. You're <laughs> you right. You're, you're, you're right. It, it, that's the whole thing. Yeah. That's what uh, yeah. that's what Tana said the other day. He said for the for the for the for the uh, people who say black people should just get over it. Please tell me in what year did it get good for black folks? Please tell me right. what year it got good. Mm-hmm. Please. Mm-hmm. Where, where was this beginning of this black people should be okay with what's happening? The what golden year age of blackness. Yeah. yeah. Show me that Show me that year. What year was that? Yeah. yeah. So let me That's know true. what we're supposed to be doing that. And so basically they're saying over and over again, just keep it going the way it's going. You know, and, and, you, and you're but, saying Okay, but let me correctly, tell you, let me tell you, I was just going to say, I want to go back to what you were saying about about the comparison and being and, and how it was a good thing. I disagree, and I also disagree with it for this reason, too. I don't know if you heard about um, Emma Watson's, this um, her speech to the U.N. on feminism, but there's a really good article in, in rebuttal to that um, from Mia McKenzie at um, Black Girl Dangerous. And what Mia McKenzie and a lot of other feminists have brought up is that the focus on uh, the, her talking about how we need to invite men into the movement is wrong for the following reason. It centralizes sexism and the problem of sexism on men, and that fundamentally is anti-feminist. 
You cannot, there's no man that has just, who's gotten into feminism because of how it personally affects him. He, a man who's really about feminism recognizes that women get a raw fucking deal for being women. You know what I mean? He's, he understands that, some, that, that sexism affects him in an adverse way too, but he mainly recognizes that the main people who are oppressed by sexism and gender, and gender discrimination are women. And and it's the same thing. So are you the same thing when we talk about our allies. In, in no, it's movement, no. That is that is exactly not what I said. I'm no, no, saying I'm, I'm that. I'm trying to understand. No, I'm not saying that men should not be interested in feminism. That is not what I said. I don't know how you got that. I what I said. What no, 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 no. I was asking that, any kind man, of adversarial way whatsoever. Okay, what a no, man, no. a man who is really interested in combating gender discrimination and gender intolerance is interested in that because he recognizes that women have, a, have gotten a raw deal because of patriarchy and that he is privileged because of patriarchy. He may recognize that sexism and patriarchy adversely affect him as well in terms of constraining what, what uh, manhood is and how it's constructed in the mainstream and, you know, what sorts of, you know, things he can do and say and act like within society. But he's fundamentally against patriarchy because he recognizes that it oppresses women. That's what, that's what, that's what it's saying. It's the same reason why, in terms of race, talking about race in a way that centralizes white people and white people's experiences, right, is fundamentally wrong because white people are not oppressed, <laughs> you know what I mean, by racism. And in what ways they may, right, in what ways that they may actually find themselves, um, you know, harmed by racism, you know, via, you know, nigger lover, being a quote-unquote nigger lover, being, um, you know, having a biracial child or something a lot or liking something a part of black culture in those ways. They're still they're still privileged because at the end of the day they're white. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So centralizing the conversation on people on 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 white people in discussions of race is wrong because it 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 erases people of color mm-hmm. and their experiences right. because those are the people that are being oppressed fundamentally. Mm-hmm. So that is one of my well, issues that I have when I hear someone saying that anti-atheism is is a, a form of racism. I think it's 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 stupid, it's flawed. Black people are still being killed. Right. Just for oh, being look, black. You know? So. Right. Okay, um wow, there's a lot there. Um uh look, okay, I'll just say it like this. This is what I said to somebody this week. I said to them, I said, look, as uh, the election comes up in 2016, there are going to be a whole bunch of right-wing folks throwing out a whole bunch of misogynistic things, and I will fight hard against them as as as, as any feminist, right? I said, but, mm-hmm. but to me, it's the same premise. I think that um, I really think that it's really about the wealth inequality. Because I think that um, there isn't shit that a poor that a that a poor man can do that a rich woman can't. 
And I think that no one is saying what, that no one is saying that class doesn't matter, but it but the, but fundamentally, men still are privileged in this society. And depending upon the and depending upon the and depending of and depending upon the situation, that rich white woman may still not be as privileged as a white man, depending upon the circumstances in which she finds herself. I said depending on the circumstances in which she finds herself. I mean, I'm just saying in general, this 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 happens to be the case. There it's not to say that there are not situations. There's situations where I, as an educated black woman, have more privilege than the next black person because I I had the uh, the opportunity to attend a college and to get a degree. So there are situations where I am not representative of a lot of other black people's experiences. And that and that I recognize and I own that. You know what I mean? But the fun, but the, what we're talking about at fundamentally most women <laughs> are not rich, and most women of color are not rich. You know what I mean? So at the bottom of it, are most men. women you know are I mean? oppressed most by patriarchy. I mean, so, most men are oppressed by I mean, the I get it, thing, but, you, though, but see, you're doing what a lot of white people do, and you're deflecting the <laughs> issue. We're talking about we're talking about sexism, and we're talking about well, I, I brought up sexism as another as another point, but you're deflecting that issue by bringing in class as though class somehow deconstructs all of that, what I said about race, about uh, patriarchy, as though that, you know, that erases that. Like there's no, there's, there's no patriarchy all of a sudden because there's some, some class difference. No, all not at all. things not interact. All. It's messy. Yeah, they're it's all not, mixed It's together. not one thing or the other. Sure, sure. Um, there are some, anyway, yeah. All right, I got to go. Y'all have a, a great day. Yeah. Alrighty, thank you for calling in, Travis. But, but do you see I why? Do you see why? Do you see why I got upset with him? It's like it's it's like you. It's like in, in situations where like black people, like white people, say, "Oh, but you know, but there's Will Smith and there's Oprah Winfrey." You know what I mean? And they're rich and they have more privilege than me and I grew up poor. It's like, okay, so what? That's Oprah. That's Oprah Smith and Will and and, and uh, Oprah and Will Smith. You know what I mean? That has nothing to do with the fundamental discussion about how you are more privileged than black people in general by being white. Do you understand I think what I'm saying? Was, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I think he was talking about the 2016 election, and, you know, he didn't make yeah, his I whole point. Yeah, I know he was talking about the 2016 election. But it's, uh-huh. still, it's still it was a stupid point, Kim, is that's what I'm saying. It was a stupid point because as fundamentally – because fundamentally, there still is a major issue with sexism in this country and patriarchy. There's still women still make less money than men, on the whole. So you're going to point out maybe a handful of white women that are richer than a handful than than some men that are out there, and say, oh well, you know, because there's these rich white women out here, therefore sexism is not really an issue. It's all about class. No, it's about class. It can be about class and sexism. So there you go. There you go. There you go. It's just so much that we need to discuss, that we need to get out here, get get these conversations going, and, you know, addressing it and getting a better understanding. And, you know, it's good that we're able to, you know, come together and, 
you know, even with our disagreements, being able to sit back and actually, um, you know, talk about a precept upon precept. And, you know, we'll get a chance. We'll have Travis back on, and, you know, maybe we'll do a show um, talking about classism, talking about sexism, talking about racism, um, you know, because there's always plenty of, you know, stories out there, pretty plenty of examples. But you were going on about Emma Watson and um, mm-hmm. what she was talking about in Black Girl Dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Mia McKenzie wrote an article on the Emma Watson thing and on her blog, Black Girl Dangerous, and basically Emma Watson went in front of the U.N. and basically said that, we need to invite men into the feminist movement because um, because black men or not men not black men but men have been excluded from feminism. I don't know what feminism she's you know she understands um, or she follows, but that's not you know the feminism that I'm familiar with to begin with. And it's certainly and, and, and I've already said on this program I'm a black feminist, so I don't come from um, mainstream feminist schools at all. But um, mm-hmm. but that's not a feminism. Even in in terms of my my knowledge in the mainstream, that's not even something that I'm familiar with in terms of the mainstream. But um, but in any case, she was talking about we need to uh, do a better job of letting men know how feminism hurts them. And Mia McKenzie, you know, she talked about how centralizing these discussions of gender and gender discrimination and oppression. Um, on men, how it actually, you know, how it, um, how it actually hurts feminism and how it hurts women, because patriarchy already focuses on men. That's the problem. That's the problem that we're trying to, you know, to solve. That we're that we're trying to resolve. We're trying to show that we need to expand this focus and we need to expand rights and equality, you know, to women and to people who are, you know, transgender and you know, transsexual, you know, because they're human beings. We're all human beings, so we deserve fundamental rights, you know? And, right. Um, and focusing and, and actually by centralizing the discussion, discussions of feminism on men, you actually reproduce patriarchy. What I am saying is that by centralizing conversations of race on white people, in terms of their if focusing on their experiences is um is focusing is actually reproducing racism is reproducing white supremacy to do that right and and that's right. part of why I had an issue with the discussion after Ferguson there were a lot of good there were a lot of good points that were generated in that discussion, but what I didn't like was the false balance. You know, exactly. and there were some there were some people in the audience who said things like, you know, black people need to look at themselves and take responsibility, personal responsibility. Black people can't take personal responsibility for racism. You know, mm-hmm. that we just we mm-hmm. can't. We we right. can't we can't do it. It's not our responsibility to solve racism, and it certainly isn't our responsibility right. on an individual level to um, to. Uh, comport ourselves or to alter our behavior so that you as a white person can see us as human beings. It's your responsibility as a white person or as a, or as even another person of color to, 
to look at yourself and to look at how you view others and to change that. It is not the, the other person's responsibility to prove to you that they are human. Right. It's not their responsibility. Wow. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm absolutely right there with you. And I agree because, you know, we've been talking about some things and, you know, you know I want to do a show dealing with white supremacy um, mm-hmm. in and of itself and how there are times when we perpetuate people of color. You know, mm-hmm. and, and many times we're not even fully aware that's what we're doing because it's so ingrained within us. Right. And being able to call these things out and being able to recognize it for what it is. And so, yeah, that whole thing with Emma Watson, I remember when that happened and, you know, you know, went in one ear and not the other. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to that but I did see that article that you're talking about. I'm going to go back and reread it because I need to go back yeah. and reread it. It just the whole situation was just absolutely ridiculous because they had her there speaking for that. They had um, what's the Titanic guy's name? What's his face? <laughs> um, Leonardo DiCaprio was talking about the the uh, green movement and 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 he was up there as though he was a representative for the indigenous groups that are leading the movement. You know what I mean? Right. And it was just so ridiculous to me. I'm like, I was like, exactly. when did Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio become Native American? I don't get that, but you know, exactly. whatever. Exactly. And that's why that's why that's why I'm sitting here and I'm looking. They're putting all these young celebrities up here, who are allowing themselves to be used and exploited. Mm-hmm. And and it's just I'm just looking at it. And then you know they have no real relevance to the situation because again, I mean, look at who they're putting up there. These are very very privileged people. And. Mm-hmm. You know, why can't they bring grandma from down the block who who ain't never been nowhere? Put her on the plane to Sweden. Let her go over there and talk mm-hmm. about a few things. She's living. Right. She's, you know, several generations deep. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's why, you know, I didn't really, you know, half-ass pay attention to what was going on. As soon as I saw her and then I saw him and a couple of other people, and I'm like, give me a break. Because, I mean, you and I have talked about, you know, how the news is, you know, full of propaganda and how mm-hmm. media and communications is utilized to manipulate the minds of people and to control what mm-hmm. we think and how we think and all of those things. And it's just ridiculous. I, I probably and would say getting and I was going to say, all of the issues that Emma Watson was bringing up in terms of feminism are all first world issues to begin with. I mean, there's a feminism that right. exists outside of the West and outside of the United States. I mean, again, going back to this issue of privilege, you know, you know, I, I'm privileged on a lot of levels. I am a citizen of the United States. I grew up, you know, more or less, you know, upper middle, upper, uh, not upper middle class, but like lower middle class you know, upper upper working class, you know, for most uh-huh. of my life. You know, I have like I said, I have education, you know, and, and I work and I live in the first world. You know? So and I have life skin privilege. You know what I mean? So, you know, I have a very different way of looking at the world than someone who might come from, say, Nigeria, 
you know what I mean, or Senegal, or someone who's, you know, dealing with issues that might be going on over there. You know, it's the, you know, and that's, um, you know, and the fact that they don't have as many people representing those countries and talking about issues of feminism and things like that, it, it, it just reproduces the whole narrative that um, feminism is a upper-class white women's issue. You know? Exactly. 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 Wow. Wow. So, yeah, it's a lot that needs to be talked about and a lot that needs to be discussed. Anyway, we're getting ready to, oh, well, she's gone. All right. She dropped her call. Anyway, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show. We enjoyed talking with you. We enjoyed being with you guys. Um, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And, again, no show next Sunday and no Twitter chat Thursday night, um, all in preparation for, you know, um, next weekend. So I will be taking my vacation, and I will see you guys there. All right, everybody, you all take care. Have a good one now.